Hey, I'm Michael, and this is Michael in the Middle. It's an intergenerational relational podcast for people who are interested in better human interaction. I'm glad you're here. I couldn't be more excited about the guests that I have uh, for this particular episode. It's episode seven. I'm told that seven is a perfect number in, 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 in a lot of ways. number, yeah. That's a perfect person to have on episode seven. That's Dr. <laughs> Shauna Songer-Gaines there on the other side of the screen. It's good to see you, Shauna. Hey, thanks so much for having me, Michael. I'm excited to get into the middle of it with you. <laughs> I like that. So um, I just here for those people who may not be aware, um, Dr. Shauna Songer-Gaines is the lead pastor at Trebekah Community Church of the Nazarene. Uh, here on the campus of Trebekah Nazarene University in Nashville. She happens to be my pastor, and I'm thrilled about that. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. But as we uh, have been doing on Michael in the Middle, as we've been getting into uh, the production of these things, it just um, seems a natural thing to talk about uh, one's story and how you got here to where you are today. So where are you from? Who's who's your family? Who's your daddy? Who's your mama? <laughs> <laughs> who's your daddy? Great place to start. Um, <laughs> so I I was born in Bakersfield, California, and I try to tell people Bakersfield is not palm trees and movie stars. It is oil rigs and carrot farms. Um, so and, that. And- and Buck Owens, right? <laughs> and, Buck, and Merle Haggard. I and mean, Yoakum and oh man, oh you know, Michael, you know. So one of the cool things about living in Nashville now, it is the only I've lived in a lot of places. It's the only place I've ever lived in where you say you're from Bakersfield, California, and that earns you like respect. <laughs> you know? Everybody else is like Bakersfield, what? What is that? And uh, here, man, there's some there's some credibility to be from the place where the Bakersfield sound was born. Um, but yeah, I was born in Bakersfield, California, into a pastor's family. Um, my mom uh, was a school teacher. My dad was a youth pastor at the time at a church in Bakersfield. And uh, when I was just two years old, he became lead pastor of a church in a little mountain town called Bishop, California which nobody's ever heard of unless you've gone to a Mule Day Festival, which is like the biggest event that they had all year long was a Mule Day Festival. Um, It's kind of on your way up into the Mammoth Mountains. And it was idyllic childhood playground. I mean, uh, we had a little pond out in front of our yard that me and my sisters would sometimes, we were little, we would just go strip down and jump in the pond. You know, that was our swimming pool, if you will. And to run all around the neighborhood cul-de-sac that we lived in, um, you know, kind of out in the middle of nowhere. And we, it was totally idyllic. We loved it. Um, Growing up in the church as a pastor's kid, I know that there's a lot of difficulties, like the fishbowl feeling. And I'm sure that that was happening for my parents and my older sisters, certainly at the time. I'm, I'm the youngest of three girls. Um, but I, maybe because I was the baby, maybe because I was the youngest, I was sort of oblivious to a lot of the hard stuff and I just loved it. (laughs) Like I just loved being a part of, um, the church being, we, we actually, when we lived in Bishop, 
uh, our family built the parsonage that, that is still there to this day. They didn't have a parsonage. And so we built it. The first two years we lived there, we lived in different rental houses while we were building the parsonage. And so, I mean, my dad would be in the office uh, doing church work all day, and then he'd come home in the afternoon and work like nailing in boards and <laughs> putting up drywall and people from the church would always be out there. So my earliest memories of that house was just all these folks from the church, you know, surrounding this place, helping to install sinks and, you know, whatever they were doing. And they let me have a paintbrush every now and then, and I'd go make a mess and feel like I was helping build the house. Um, but I just, from those early days, I really felt like I was a part of this bigger family that was building a life together. And I loved it. I loved it. And um, we, when I was in the first grade, then we moved to Glendora, California, which is down in the Pasadena area. Uh, my dad pastored a church there. It was a big change for our family. Um, and I think it was in those years when I was a little girl, like I said, I just, I loved all things church life. And uh, one of the weird kids actually liked being in, in big people church, right? Um, liked to, I liked going up to the sanctuary and hearing the songs. Well, one Sunday night um, in Sunday night service, which back then, you know, you weren't a Christian church if you didn't have Sunday night service. Um, one Sunday night service, my dad was sort of leading a Bible study for everybody that was there. And we were probably the only kids there. Um, and he, he, I was, I, I don't know, six at the time, maybe seven. And so he's asking questions and I'm raising my hand, trying to answer and trying to be a part of conversation, which sort of cracked up all the adults that, that were there. They thought that was really funny. Like, oh, look, Shauna, she thinks she's going to participate in this. But just from an early age, that's what I thought. Like, hey, I've got my paintbrush. I've got my Bible. Like, put me in. I want to be a part of this. Um, and so then after that that Sunday night service, um, just participating, trying to jump in, one of the gentlemen in the church said, um, you know, hey, hey there, Shauna, what do you want to be when you grow up someday? And when I was really little, you know, six, seven, I, I can't remember. My mom might remember how old I was. My response was, I want to be a preacher just like my dad. <laughs> and, um, I had that and I didn't know anything about calling or vocation or I had none of that language. I just had this sense of, I love this place. I love these people. I love the word of God. I love everything that's happening here and I want to be in the middle of it. Um, and so then the man's response to me, however, was, um, oh, man, that's that's really great. Maybe someday you'll make a great pastor's wife. Um, wow. And again, I'm oblivious to any of the sure. I don't I don't get it. I don't know. Um, but my mom, who overheard that conversation, pulled me off to the side to make sure she heard me say or that, that I heard her. But yeah, that I heard her say um, Shauna, you will be whatever God calls you to be. Sure. Um, and she kind of had that sense, even in an early age of trying to like protect, <laughs> uh, whatever early calling God might be laid on my heart. But those are, those are kind of the early year, years, Michael. Um, is that what you're looking for? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I have a similar, um, you know, growing up experience living next door to the church. My dad was a pastor. Uh, I ended up, you know, pursuing ministry from, uh, you know, quote unquote, lay perspective. But when I was younger, I practiced like I was going to be a preacher someday. And 
I remember in Elk City, Oklahoma, we moved uh, when I was five. But when I was four and five years old, I'd go next door to the church and Mrs. Steps and her daughter Annette would be over there. And Annette was probably 10 or 12 at the time. And I would get up behind the pulpit like my dad, as you as you were, you know, like yours. And I would I would preach to Mrs. Steps and Annette and and uh, Mrs. Steps often would go to the altar to make me feel good about my sermons. And <laughs> You know, so, um, oh, there are some uh, Sundays I wish I had an Annette in the church, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, uh, okay, your your parents are Rob and Debbie. Yeah, and Rob and Debbie. We're going to get to your husband, Tim, in, 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 in a little bit, but tell us who your sisters are and, and where they are and what they, what they do. I've got two sisters. Um, my oldest sister, Andrea, and her husband, Doug, live in Murrieta, California, um, down in Southern California. They've got three incredible kiddos and they are in real estate. I couldn't even explain to you all that we do. Yeah. <laughs> They're very gifted at a totally different skill set than, than I have. Yeah. Um, and then my sister, Christy, and her husband, Ricky, live in San Antonio, Texas, um, with their two kids, uh, and they're an incredible family. They, their children um, were adopted five years ago. Gosh, has it been five? Yeah, five years ago, um, and are awesome. Uh, and uh, and and so yeah, they live in San Antonio, Texas. Ricky is a truck driver for a company out there, and Christy is a stay-at-home mom. And I could not be more proud of that. You know, I think I think I could do a whole podcast with people just talking about adoption stories. We, we won't get sidetracked on that, but well, I just, you know, I, I love that. And um, yeah, I, to walk through for sure. Yeah. And, and the river walk in San Antonio there, there I think there's uh, at least uh, I, I don't know. It's gotta be the greatest concentration of Mexican food restaurants in, in anywhere in the, mm -hmm. in the world, or sh I should say in the U S at least. Um, but yeah, I, I, I like it down there. So, um, you you grew up in California. I know this to be a fact. You went to Point Loma Nazarene University down in San Diego. Some of the most probably expensive real estate in the country, if they were to be able to put a price tag on it. Did you ever get did you ever get tired of that view when you looked out to the West? <laughs> you know, that's what every it's not that you get tired of it, but you I do think at some point you stop being quite as much in awe of it. Um, although I never got bored of it, I will say <laughs> I loved, uh, I love the ocean. Um, I still love, I miss the ocean, uh, being in Nashville, all of the oceans are just a little bit further away than I'd like them to be. But, um, yeah, Point Loma was an incredible place, especially, um, uh, to, to discover my sense of calling, um, and figure out what that meant and what that was going to look like. Um, those were, those were awesome years. Yeah. And uh, did you know, Tim, before you went to Point Loma? No, we did not, which was, uh, so there were rumors to the otherwise, um, because Tim was a senior and I was a freshman when we met. So it's a bit of a scandal, mm. um, a bit of a scandal there at Point Loma. <laughs> he had been on Point Loma's version of PR teams, uh, public relation teams that, would travel to different churches and camps and play music. Well, he had done that for several summers. And so he had met a lot of high school kids um, in those summer travels. And people just sort of assumed since we started dating pretty early on my freshman year, 
that he had like picked me up at a high school camp, <laughs> 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 which is that, that never that never happened ne with any of those. Uh, you know. <laughs> Uh, no, we actually met um, because my freshman year, uh, Michael Pitts was the chaplain. And one of our very first. I remember Michael. Oh, he is yeah. just a good, a good man. And um, he and his wife both are pretty incredible people. So at one of our very first chapel services, um, they at Michael made a call for all the freshmen to come down to the altar so that he could pray over us in our four years, five years, six years, who knows how long you'll be spending yeah. um, The ocean view is great. Why leave? Um, and so I, I had come down to the altar. Tim was again in, in a band up on the platform playing for that kind of offertory or, or the, the closing prayer time. And so he's playing up at the keyboard and I'm kneeling down on the altar sort of in front of where he is. Um, and there's hundreds, hundreds of, of students around these altars. And so we're all kind of crammed in next to each other. And, and Michael finishes praying for us. And he says, amen. Well, now it's time to get to class and we've all got to get going. But there's such a traffic jam to get around these altars. So I try to step over uh, an altar to get back to my backpack and get to class and my foot caught on the altar and I face planted. Like I just, I fell really hard right into the lap of a student named Ashby. And, uh, it was pretty embarrassing. Uh, and Tim just had like a balcony seat to all of it. So he watches me just make this amazing fall. And you can imagine like all these freshmen are all gathered around and everybody just turns to look and see what's just happened. Um, it should have been, you know, the most embarrassing moment of my life, but I kind of picked myself up and I looked at Ashby uh, who I hadn't met at the time. And I put up my hand and I said, hi, uh, we haven't met, but my name's Shauna and I'm the girl that just took your lap. Uh, and we laughed and shook hands and got to know each other. And um, so, so Tim had been watching all of that. And, uh, and so he just kind of decided to himself, like, I want to meet that girl. And he came and found me later that night and just said, Hey, by the way, I saw you trip in chapel today, which not exactly the way that I wanted to make a first impression. Um, but uh, yeah, that's, that's how we met. <laughs> I, I wonder where that ranks in the uh, pecking order of pickup lines, you know, <laughs> I, I would have thought to share that. Are you that, saying you know, that he fell for me? Um, try to work. Well, word pun there. maybe you've, yeah, I mean, it works either yeah, way. It, works either um, way. it does. I yeah. <laughs> he fell for me. There, there it was. And so you met, you're a freshman, he's a senior, he's getting ready to go on and do whatever he's going to do. But did, did things change as you got to know each other? I mean, did he stick around San Diego for a little while? Or? Yeah, you know, he had been, um, he was a philosophy theology major, uh, which is a major right. that you typically, if you want to go into ministry, um, you, if you're in that major, you probably are planning to go on to seminary or to do more training that has more of the pastoral component because that major is really focused on um, just theology and philosophy and not the more practice of ministry. And so his plan was to go on and go to seminary at Nazarene Theological Seminary. Um, well, then we met and became serious pretty quickly. Um, and in those early months uh, of dating, just trying to figure out what 
what we were going to do and if it was going to become a long distance relationship. And he, after graduation, got hired on at Point Loma to be an admissions counselor and got accepted into their master's program. And so he actually got a master's of theology at Point Loma while he was an admissions counselor um, and got to got to hang around San Diego for a few more years. And I'm very grateful that he did hang around. That's great. That's great. So, I mean, it, it's, it's not like we can probably rehearse every, you know, transition in your life, but you all got married um, at, at what point? Were you still in college at Point Loma at that, at, at that yeah, time? It was, it was uh, the middle of my senior year, actually. It was right before my last semester because he was working full time for the college. My last semester, I got tuition remission because I was married to uh-huh. a full time It was a good deal. Um, I'm not saying it was a marriage of convenience, but that was very convenient. Um, and then when I graduated, we moved off to Kansas City and we both attended Nazarene Theological Seminary together. That's great. That's great. So Tim has master's from Point Loma. Did he did he also do another master's degree or did he move right he into his doctoral work? No, yeah, he did another master. So he did the MDiv, a master's in divinity. Um, at NTS. So he had an MA and an MDiv before he went on to do his PhD. Were you in the same program at seminary or did you? Yeah, we were, but because he was transferring in some of his credit hours from the MA, I think we only took one class together the whole time, which is probably for the best. (laughs) Yes, I'm sure it was. But we're both very good students, but we just have very different, you know, kind of study practices and things like that. So it was probably good that we weren't in all the same classes together. So somewhere along the way, um, you guys are working together um, uh, in in terms of education. You're pursuing that. And you're pursuing your your respective calls to ministry. And I don't know what the chronology of all of that were. Callan and Evelyn came along, but you ended up back in Bakersfield, right? Yeah. So, well, from Kansas City, we moved to Chicago, actually, which is an interesting little, I won't call it a detour. I think, you know, it was all a part of the the bigger journey. Um, But that's where Tim did his PhD at Garrett Evangelical. And when we decided for that he would do that program in Chicago, it was kind of a leap of faith because um, there was a a church out in California that had talked about bringing me onto staff if he wanted to do his PhD at a different school out there. And with a pastor that I really respected, you might've heard of him called Scott Daniels. (laughs) And so we really kind of thought, well, that would be the smarter move to make, you know, go back to California, be near family where Tim can do his PhD. Um, But we just really felt like the program in Chicago was the one that he needed to do. And so I just said, hey, well, we'll figure it out. Um, I started applying to jobs on a website called Mm churchjobs.com because I was not qualified for any other kind of job to support us and uh, putting him through grad school, just trying to figure out what to do. And I got hired by a United Methodist Church to be their youth pastor um, there in the Chicagoland area. And it was the first year there was so incredibly difficult. I came out of seminary just thinking, man, I had I had uh, aced a lot of my seminary courses like I've got this figured out turn me loose on this youth group like I am ready for ministry and man that first year with a youth group in um you know Chicago which is just a um a very different 
city, a very different part of the country than I'd ever been. Um, United Methodist Church, very different systems than I had ever been a part of. And we just got, you know, kicked in the tail in a big way. And it was a huge, like, humility leap to recognize um, contextualizing all this ministry stuff that I've been learning for the last seven years is going to be a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. And, and I will say when we came to the end, we spent three years there and that's where Callan was born. He was born um, there, there in Chicago, um, which is fitting. He loves the cold. And so he's our, our cold weather baby. Um, But uh, yeah, those years were in some ways, so difficult, but so pivotal for us. Um, when we got to the end of our time serving there, I think with that church, we learned so much. We grew up in a really important way. And we had been totally outside of the structures of the Church of the Nazarene for the most part. I mean, we still had our, our district license. We were working towards ordination, but I was working at a United Methodist Church. Tim was at a United Methodist Seminary. And we were sort of off the radar of everybody and to- and by ourselves trying to make friends. Oh, my goodness. We actually uh, used to walk to the Dairy Queen across the street from our house whenever we would see other young couples out of the Dairy Queen to try to pretend like we just happened to be over there and meet people. I mean, we were so lonely. Um, but we really grew up in a significant way. And at the end of that time, when we were asked to interview to pastor a church in the Church of the Nazarene, we had this deep sense of choosing the Church of the Nazarene, right? Like we both had been we, we raised in the Church of the Nazarene. It wasn't really a choice that we made. And when when we took that call to pastor um, a, a Church of the Nazarene back in California, it was, I think, a really significant commitment on our part um, to not just not just a job, right? Not just heading back to California, but to to being in the thick of it with the Church of the Nazarene. That's uh, that's amazing. And uh, Tim, so uh, to a certain extent, Tim had his eye on on maybe teaching at the college level uh, uh, along the way. It, it's easy to assume that. I've never asked that question because I know you pastored together, you know, but. Uh, but it, well, it yeah. like he was born to be a teacher. I feel like I shouldn't answer too much of this for him, but he is a he's a jack of all trades, right? So I think partly getting a PhD was he just wants to be able to say yes to whatever opportunity you know might might come his way. And and he's such a he's such a smart guy. And so um he but he loved pastoring in Bakersfield. Um, but kind of coming to the end of our time there, when I think I knew it was the end, uh, he just was getting really antsy for the fact that he, he wasn't able to use his PhD that he had just ah. completed and finished and looking for opportunities to teach. And Bakersfield does not have a lot of opportunities for like Wesleyan theological education. Um, and so we were looking at things where, where he would be driving maybe three or four hours um, to be able to, to teach in a classroom. Um, that was before a lot of education had moved online and just feeling that sense of like, gosh, I really want to be able to train pastors. Um, and so when Trevecca called, uh, actually it was interesting. So, so he teaches here now at Trevecca Nazarene University. But when we first got the call about the, the position being posted, asking if he'd be interested in applying, it was after a season where I had been doing the Daniel fast um, of just fasting and praying 
about that the, the anxiousness that he was feeling um, about you know pastoring and staying and looking for other teaching job opportunities. And so we had just finished this season of fasting and praying. And it was the day after uh, I finished the fast that we got a call, not offering the, obviously there's a whole application interview process, a call to say, would you be interested in applying? Um, And I think that was uh, just such a, an affirmation for us um, that, that God was, was opening the door to come out here. Your daughter, Evelyn was born in in Bakersfield while you were there. Yeah. Yeah. She was born in Chicago baby and you got a California baby and, and now you're in Tennessee. I mean, you bounced around a little bit. Is it is it hard to find home in different places, or does your heart find a home more with people than it does a location? Man, Michael, that's a great question. So when I was a kid, you heard a little bit of my story. We moved around a lot when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And even in some of the places, you know, we lived in a lot of different houses, and so we went to different schools. And I was used to moving and then family was kind of your rock, family in the church, right? Like that was your, your rock that you were kind of building life on. And so, um, I, we've, and so, yeah, we've been in Nashville longer than any other place that we've lived in, in the years that we've been married. It's really the only home that our children know. And I mean, if you ask them, they will not hesitate. Where are you from? Nashville. We're from Tennessee. You know, they they've gone through all of the learning Tennessee state history stuff and their history classes, which is fun for Tim and I to learn about because we learned about the California missions and all of the, you know, California history in our education growing up. And um, so for me, it's been, I think, um, really a little bit easier to connect with a place um, and to find home, uh, Tim grew up in one home. Uh, well, he, uh, I guess he moved once in his life, but his uh, his mom still to this day lives in the house that they bought and moved into when Tim was six years old. Um, and so he is from this family that is just like rooted, rock solid. Um, his dad worked in the same factory uh, from the time that Tim was six years old until he um, he retired. Um, and so it, he's just from one of those really stable, steady uh, places. And it, it just takes him a little bit longer. And so it's actually been neat to see where he's realizing, hey, yeah, we've been here longer than any other. This is home. Like this is uh, this is home for us. Uh, so uh, that's, right. been, that's been a joy. Yeah. So, so Tim starts uh, as a as a professor here. And what year was that when you all moved here? It was 2015. 15. Okay. So we're, we're seven years into this and you, you were able to, to initially jump in with the chaplain's office here with the legendary Tim green, Dr. Tim green. Not initially. initially? Um, Okay. We moved out in the summer of 2015 And I had no idea if there would be a ministry opportunity for me out here. Uh, We landed at Trevecca Community Church to be our our home church when we first got here, partly because this awesome nursery pastor, Pastor Emily, when we had our little babies in the nursery and were so lost as to what she just kind of grabbed hold of us and helped me find a Mom's Day Out program and figure out how to navigate Nashville with with a two and three year old. You know, they were two and three at the time. 
Um, and so, and, and then also Tim said, you know, we should probably land at a church that is big enough that it won't miss us when you get a ministry opportunity, Shauna, you know, because we kind of assume like, well, I'll be a stay at home mom until um, an opportunity to pastor opens up. Right. Um, but then that first year uh, that we were here, there were a couple of open churches um, that, uh, that that came up and, and I talked with some. Um, and it became really clear in that first year that it was going to be very difficult uh, for me to, to have a lead pastor role as a woman. Um, the churches that we talked to, that was clearly going to be a, a challenge, right? That was a, an issue. Um, and so I didn't think about that before. I mean, I did think about it and I didn't. <laughs> I can't say I didn't think about it. But it suddenly became a reality. Wow. We moved our family across the country. Mm -hmm. our, we brought our kids. We moved away. We lived 10 in Bakersfield. We were 10 minutes from my parents, 10 minutes from my sister and 10 minutes from my grandparents. And mm -hmm. um, we moved away from all of our family, from a church that we loved. The days in ministry there were so sweet. And, and here we are in this new place and there might be no open doors in ministry for me. Um, and so it was actually after we'd been here for almost a full year um, that that Tim Green decided to step down from the the chaplaincy and obviously stay on as dean of the School of Theology and Christian Ministry, but um, to step down from the chaplaincy. Um, and then I uh, became the, the university chaplain, which just blew my mind. I had no <laughs> uh, that was the kind of thing that you can't really plan for. I had no idea um that um that that would ever be in store and it was just such an honor and joy to serve in those years as university chaplain well i you know so much of what i do in my work here for the university um you know takes me away from time to time and i, I haven't been as engaged in the in the chapel program uh, across these last few years and I, i'm just going to say real quickly here um on the day that we're recording this uh, we're just uh, about 48 hours out from what could have been a, a very tragic accident that involved a couple of our students. Yeah. Uh, you know, they, it looks like both of the young ladies are going to recover now very well. But yeah. there was a there was a an in between moment, and and I was reminded yesterday as I stood in the community chapel service here at this at this campus of the value that that there is in gathering, <laughs> you know, whether it's on a Christian college campus in a chapel service or at a church on a Sunday morning or Wednesday night or Tuesday night, or when, whenever the church gathers, there's something about the way that God works through that when people are together, whether it's in times of great rejoicing or times of mourning or times of not knowing, <laughs> you know, yeah. and, maybe that'll be a, a thing that we come back to because I do want to talk to you a little bit about your doctoral work, but that being together, yeah. uh, oh. Hebrews 10, 20, uh, 11, I think it's 10, 25. It says, let's not forsake the assembling together as some are in the habit of doing it. A joke about how that's probably my dad's favorite verse in the Bible. because He wanted people <laughs> in church, you know, <laughs> but, oh, that's so good. Or, or whatever you know that was going on in the life of the church. The church is not the only thing that happens in a person's life, but it is a bonding agent, I think, for 
all of life when people allow it to be so, you know, or it can be. And, you know, we know there's lots of challenges within the church world and what people believe about Christians and about about the institutional church and those kinds of things. But I would like to ask you to talk to me just a little bit about what it was like to transition from being the campus pastor, the, the university, to being the pastor of the campus church, because that was quite a journey, even though it was just a, a walk of a few feet, so to speak. That's a journey of a lifetime and a, a million miles, you know. I moved offices, you know, just down the hill. I packed boxes, put them in the back of my minivan and drove like 30 seconds. Um, and yet it was probably the biggest um, uh, tra like ministry transition uh, that I've ever experienced um, in terms of, of just being in one gear and switching to another um, in so many ways. I, I'm so grateful. It, it, even in the discernment process, I had a great conversation it, discerning whether or not to to even let my name go forward. Um, you know, if you're familiar with the polity in the Church of the Nazarene, a church board looks for a candidate to bring to the church um, for a congregational vote. And that was such a discernment process because I, I loved being the chaplain at Trevecca. Those were amazing days. I felt so, I felt like I won the lottery when <laughs> I was asked to be the, the chaplain at Trevecca and to walk away from that seemed crazy, like really, really crazy. Um, and yet I could not get away from this stirring um, back to local congregational ministry, and and in particularly a, a church that gets to be a presence on a university campus, um, and to you know for the students that that come by um, either because this becomes their church home or uh, is uh, just drops in every now and then um, to get to be the church that is a witness to God's new creation breaking in here and now. Um, so I, I felt that stirring, but in, in that discernment process, I had a, a conversation with um, Dr. Boone, uh, the president of Trebecca, and because he was my boss as the chaplain, and I've just felt so guilty at the thought of, you know, of leaving that position that I felt so honored to to get to have. And in that discernment process, he said, you know, Shauna, um, for us at, at Trebecca. Um, either way, we're not losing you. Um, you you're, you're either the university chaplain or or the pastor of the university campus, and and so that helped me see that there it, 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 ministry in the same place, but just taking a different form, um, and and feeling that sense of being called to ministry here on this hilltop in this neighborhood. And it had one form and now it's taken another. Um, and so that's that's kind of how I've seen it. And I still feel that I still feel like I've won the lottery <laughs> to get to, to get to be here and to be serving these people in this place. I really do. I don't want to probe too deeply, but you mentioned it before, you know, when the when the man, when you were a little girl saying you'd be a good pastor's wife, you are a good pastor's wife, but you're also you're also <laughs> the the pastor of 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 the 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 man that that you know you're married to as well i mean in terms of the the lead pastor role that you have there um you know I, we don't need to beat this around too much um, this is a this is a very positive program that's my that's my <laughs> intention but but i think i think it would be fair to 
to allow you an opportunity to talk about what some of those challenges are like. And, and although in our denomination from the very beginning, we've, we've ordained women for ministry, there's just something there that for some people, it's just, I don't know. It just, it just doesn't seem like what they, what they really want to want to have in terms of leadership within the church. I, I want to just say this before you answer, I have the utmost respect for how you've handled that because you don't spend a lot of time talking about it. You just, you just pastor. Well, you just love well. And I, I gotta tell you, you've been there as our pastor when we lost Sarah's dad. And when we lost my mom within the space of just a few months in 2021. And, um, you know, we, we will forever be bonded to you because of the way you handled those moments with our, what's it like to be the lead pastor in a church in, in these days? And, and do you, do you think a lot about it or do you just, do you just let the Lord lead you to do what you need to be doing in the moment? You know, that's a great question because I think when I am thinking about it, it means that there are challenges, right? Just like you don't really think about Michael, what's it like to be white? Uh, Michael, what's it like to be um, what are you, 48? I don't know. <laughs> like most of the time we, we just live in these bodies. We don't think about it. I don't think what's it like to be a brunette in the world. I, I don't think about that when I am thinking about it, it's because it, it's presenting a challenge in some way, right? Like something is, uh, is out of balance. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's been interesting. Um, so, you know, for instance, here at Trevecca community church, um, this church has had a wonderful presence of women leading and in the pulpit and and working in all kinds of of spaces. It's they've it, they've kept no secret that the Church of the Nazarene supports women in ministry. Uh, Dr. Nina Gunter, uh, the first female general superintendent in the Church of the Nazarene, is a member of our church and has graced us in the pulpit and and leads a Sunday school class. So it's been no secret. Um, and, and even myself, before becoming pastor, I had preached many times at Trevecca Community Church, and, 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 and I think it, it had been well-received. I mean, if it had been poorly received, they probably wouldn't have asked me to care for their pastor. Um, I think what I discovered in the process, however, um, just recognizing that there was going to be more challenge and, and more pushback to that, what I discovered that I hadn't really noticed before was that for some, they really do have like a theological uh, rejection of, of women in any kind of teaching, preaching authorities, right? So um, they can enjoy themselves at a Baptist church somewhere. There's plenty of spaces where you will be quite comfortable and that's fine. Um, but for a lot of others, it wasn't so much about, yeah, we can have a woman preach every now and then. That's good. Maybe lead our Sunday school class. But there is something about the vision of leadership and what it means to lead and even tied with a biblical idea of headship, I think. Um, right. So in scripture where it talks about headship and um, particularly husbands and wives um, and, and, and really it talks about it in the context of mutual submission to Christ um, there's something that that image that we have of the pastor, leader, shepherd, right? It, it's a male image. 
and and it feels like something sometimes it is wrong or out of order if the person who is in that leadership space in that headship space um, doesn't look like the vision that we have of a leader so that what that's an initial obstacle right of just like ah something doesn't feel right about this and and even for people who would say no i don't have a problem with the fact she's a woman no i don't have a problem with that there there's still um some stuff to unpack with that that you know no some people aren't ever going to just talk about outright um so that's the initial challenge of just saying yeah you just don't look sound feel like what makes me feel comfortable and, and i've heard that a lot not just in, in all the different places that i've been in ministry like i'm just not comfortable with it and i've heard people say yeah. directly i don't have a problem with ministry with women in ministry i personally am just not comfortable with it right which, which says that it's almost like a feeling that we need to have of of safety or security and having that person in that leadership role who makes us feel safe um, and, and a big part of that, I think, is what we've done with this image of the pastor as shepherd. And if we want to go into some of my doctoral work, uh, we can do that in a minute. But I think we've done something with the metaphor of pastor as shepherd that scriptures never intended to do. When you look at the scriptural metaphor of the shepherd, we're talking about David, right? Like the scrawniest of all the brothers who is sleeping out in the pasture with sheep and will sacrifice his own life for the sake of the flock. We're talking about Jesus, the good shepherd who literally lays down his life for the sheep. And I think that for, for some, uh, we have turned, however, we've taken that image of shepherd and we've, we've put on like CEO glasses with which to look at the image of shepherd. Uh, where the shepherd becomes something <laughs> more like Goliath. Uh, you know, the shepherd becomes this big, strong protector that's ripped and has the rod and the staff ready to beat off wolves and lions. And and and, and so the shepherd becomes this very kind of lonely um, uh, CEO, you know, style of leader that I don't think that the biblical authors ever could have imagined when they talked about these lowly shepherds as the image of the people who have been asked to feed and lead um, the flock of the people of God. Um, and so uh, I think that that probably has a lot to do with some of the resistance that's both explicit and, and, and obvious, and then some of the resistance that um, people can't even necessarily name for themselves, but just makes them unsettled to the point where they can't hang on at a congregation that's led by a woman. Yeah. Well, um, I can just tell you, at least at our house, we, we can't wait for Sundays to hear your sermons and and uh, to see see you and your family and the smiles that you bring to people. It's a uh, it's a great honor uh, for us to uh, to have you leading us as you do. Well, if you can um, say, my prayer for every pastor is that they have a Michael Johnson in their congregation. <laughs> Truly, you've been such a gift. The days that I get like an encouraging text message from you, or you know something that you put out there on social media that just ah, oh, I, I feel seen and noticed and. Um, and appreciated. And I mean, you and Sarah both like Sarah, when she'll bake something delicious and, and bring it by, man, you guys are just the best. May every pastor have the Johnsons in their congregation. You know, that not 
not to uh, accept or to revel in any glory in our own right there because of that. But I would just say that I do feel sense of calling mm. to be that kind of person. And honestly, Shauna, you just you just articulated what I want for this podcast in a sense to be that that there would be this wave of of generosity and encouragement toward other people. And especially, you know, I mean, I'll just say it. I know there's been some times where it's been difficult for you to to walk to walk some of these roads, but you've done it with grace and dignity and with clarity and authority. And I I, I mean, I, I for people who are struggling with the idea that a woman can speak for God the same way a man can, I just I just think that's un so unfortunate. I, I won't try to beat anybody up over that. I just think it's it's a short-sighted view of who can speak for God because the spirit of God speaks through the prophet of God and the, and the, the person of God who's in this place now to, to try to make the world a better place in the image of the God who created it. And so. I love that. And, you know, Michael, the some of the scripture passages, right, in stories where we hear things like um, the sons and daughters will prophesy, right? So yeah. sons and daughters will prophesy. Well, part of that is in this fiery Pentecost message where the spirit is being poured out on all flesh. And I think one of the gifts that women in ministry bring to the church is breaking down some of those barriers and silos that there, and, and even the, in a congregation, as if there's only one person in a congregation that speaks for God, right? Like, no, this is actually, th th there's a person that is tasked with hearing the voices of the people of God, hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit and, and naming for the congregation what God is up to in the congregation. But man, I'm not the only one that hears from God. And speaks for God. Right. And I hope that the gift that women in ministry bring to the church is this multiplicity of voices reminds us that we are all sons and daughters. <laughs> and we are all listening for the voice of God, filled with the Holy Spirit and empowered to serve in the kingdom. And so I, I love that you uh that, that you brought that up, Michael. That's that's awesome. Well, you're welcome. And it blessed my heart to hear you hear you say it too, um, you know, to, to speak of the, the way it, it, it's supposed to work. Um, mm -hmm. um, I, I wonder if that could be a springboard to two or three minutes of, of summary about what I know was one of the most grueling experiences of your life, because I went through a, a program, not, not exactly like yours, but the, the perseverance that's required in doing the research and creating uh, you know, you do the classwork and then you do the research and then you write this book that is called a doctoral dissertation. What in the world did you discover? What were you looking for when you started working on the church's midwife? I mean, what, <laughs> give, give me a quick hit on that. You know, honestly, it, it kind of began in my classes with my cohort 
uh, as we were talking about the changes that we're seeing in the church these days and the need for different kinds of leaders, uh, the need for leaders that are not just like the kind of hot-headed shepherds who say, hey, I know the way to green pastures and still waters. You dumb sheep, get in line and follow me. I, you know. And partly as leaders, especially and now in a post-COVID world, a lot of pastoral leaders are saying, wow, I... I don't know if I know the way <laughs> this, this terrain looks totally different. I feel like I've been dropped off at a place in the map that I've never been to before. How am I supposed to be the shepherd leader? Um, and, and so as we were talking about the need for different kinds of leaders, if we're going to really make some missional shifts in the church that move us out toward the world, um, the, 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 what, what do those leaders look like? And so in a couple of our classes, I started talking about what if, what if they look like a midwife kind of based on some of my own experience? Um, both of our, our children were delivered with the help of midwives and it just absolutely changed my life. <laughs> I mean, being, coming a mother changed my life. Um, but watching the way that these women worked and this, the attuneness that they had to the birth process and the trust that they had in, in what was happening um, and the absolutely relentless hopefulness of the whole process, that pain is a part of the process. And, and so anyways, kind of based it up some of my own experiences and then also deeply impacted by so like finding so many scriptural references um, to like the midwives in Exodus chapter one, um, describing God as midwife in Psalm 22 and Psalm 71, uh, uh, Jesus telling Nicodemus that you must be born again, right? And Nicodemus saying, wait, how do I enter my mother and, and be born again a second time? Um, Jesus also tells his disciples that this pain in, in John, I think chapter 16, this pain that you're suffering right now um, will be forgotten like a mother who forgets the pain of childbirth as soon as the baby's born, right? This mm -hmm. is is the metaphor that Jesus uses. Paul in Romans chapter 8, uh, verse 22, describing we are all in labor pains and um, awaiting the new creation. I mean, this is a metaphor. And then Paul even says to the church in Corinth, um, I'm getting that wrong, Galatia, Galatia, Paul says to the church of Galatia, um, that I, I am laboring for you. I, I am laboring with you. And, and he's using that like a, a, as a woman in, in child labor. Um, and, and so this is a metaphor that's just rich throughout scripture. I started thinking, gosh, I wonder, you know, metaphors are so important and powerful. Just like Michael, I know you believe like stories are powerful. Um, metaphors in my research, one of the things I discovered about what a metaphor is and language and how it works um, one uh, kind of uh, uh, person who studies language, I don't even know what to call them, describes metaphor as a fusion of horizons. Uh, so in a metaphor, like Shakespeare's, um, when he says uh, Juliet is like the sun, right? He's, he's taking uh, something that's known and describing it with another known thing. But in the combination of those two, Juliet and the sun, now we have a new understanding of who Juliet is because of this comparison with the sun. There's this brand new horizon that's born. And so in metaphors themselves, there's a kind of birth happening where two unlike things 
us come together to create a new understanding. Um, and so I, I, I think that metaphor for us as pastor, for, for myself as a pastor and for other pastors is so powerful. So I actually spent a couple of years um, researching and, and working with midwives and doulas and OBGYNs to learn from them uh, and to try to understand better what their craft is, uh, what their skills and tools are that they use, and having other pastors come alongside the work that they do uh, to try to help me unpack more fully a metaphor of pastor's midwife. Um, when I went into the research, I sort of thought I had a lot of cool ideas about pastor's midwife because I had a couple babies and I watched eight seasons of Call the Midwife. Um, but it turns <laughs> <laughs> that's not considered research. <laughs> so, uh, so we did a lot of really great research and had some amazing pastors and doulas and midwives participate to really help unpack and create what you call in, in research um, a thick description or in anthropological research, a thick description of what it would be like to be a pastor as, as a midwife to God's new creation. And it was just a blast. <laughs> it was hard. You're right. It was grueling. But when you're doing something, something that you love, that you're passionate about, it, it's it's not work. You know, it's so much fun. I, I love hearing you talk about that. And I think it's a perfect segue to sort of landing um, the, the, the plane here. It's been, a, it's been a wonderful ride across the country with you, uh, Shauna. <laughs> um, what are your, what are your hopes and dreams for the church? What are, what are the hopes and dreams that you may have even for your own kids? as the future begins to unfold. Um, you know, given all that you've experienced in these recent years in particular, but even all the way back to that day when that man said, you'll make a good pastor's wife. I mean, you're here now. What What do you want to see out there in the future? You know, Michael, I'm actually so deeply hopeful right now. And I think partly like this metaphor has helped me see the hope in what God is doing in the world. I hear a lot of people kind of describe the situation that they were, they were in as, oh, what are we going to do? Woe is us. Uh, you know, the world is so, and, it, and there is, there's so much division. Um, there's strife and conflict in some deep ways. But I am incredibly hopeful. And I think partly of being able to see some of these dark moments that we've, that I've walked through personally, some of the dark moments that the church has walked through and some of the dark moments that our world has walked through yeah. COVID pandemic, um, you know, racial unrest. I mean, so many different things over these last few years to see it, not as walking through the Valley of the shadow of death, but perhaps that darkness is like the lightless cradle of the womb where God is birthing something new through pain, right? Mm -hmm. And so even just that metaphor has helped me to be incredibly hopeful, getting to be on a college campus and work with, with students in Generation Z. I am not an expert on Generation Z, but these students are awesome. Mm -hmm. And they are, are different and they're curious and they're creative and they're teaching me so much. They're teaching me so much. Um, and I, I learned that the more I am open to learn from them, the more hopeful I become about them. And the more closed off I am to learn from them, 
the more afraid I become of them. Right. Mm -hmm. And so uh, as, as I have done what you're doing really like learn their stories and sat down at coffee and asked, like, tell me how, how'd you get here? And, and why Trevecca and why this major, like the more I've heard those stories, the more hopeful I've become for this next generation and what God is up to in the church. I know there's been some hard stuff in, and I'm talking about the church capital C, right? Right. Church everywhere experiencing pain and loss. And yet I also recognize that there were probably some, what I would describe as like clutches of empire of the Christendom that we enjoyed for so many decades here in the United States. And, and I'm grateful for all that God did through that Christendom season, but probably for us to be the faithful church that God's calling us into in the future, some of those tendrils of empire needed to be loosened. And and I don't know how else you do it other than walking through some pain and loss. Um, And so I find us now, like our local church right now, I'm just so pumped about what is happening at our church. And I don't think it's anything that Four years ago, when uh, we were in process talking about voting on, you know, me as pastor here, I could not have come up with the strategy that led us to this moment that we're at and, and some of the things that are happening. This was not a plan that I devised, but man, God has been so good and and I am so excited. And so if that little story gives any other pastors or lay people out there that's in a church that is struggling and experiencing loss and pain. I hope it gives a little bit of hope um, because I really do think that there's so much to be hopeful for. That's fantastic. So good. So good to be with you. Good to be with uh, you. Thank you for being willing to do this and uh, folks uh, that are listening there. Um, I, uh, I'm hopeful too. I live every day in hope for a better day. I try to live like Today is a good day and tomorrow is going to be even better. Mm. Uh, And I think if we can find a way, Shauna, to encourage other people to live in that kind of hope, we really will see some great things occurring. And, uh, you know, it it may be a little um, theological cliche uh, to some, but, um, you know, if God's for us, who, who can be against us? And why would we? Why would we feel so defeated all the time where the church is concerned? Uh, thank you again for being here and for being who you are. And we love you and Tim and your, your, your family so much. And, uh, and, I, and I, hope, I hope that people will be able to hear this uh, hopeful word today and as God continues to give birth to new things in his creation. Amen. Hey, thanks so much for having me on, Michael. And thank you, honestly, thank you for telling good stories. Um, I've heard many people say that the the future belongs to the storytellers. Um, so thank you for <laughs> good and hopeful stories. Great. That's great. Thanks for tuning in, folks. We'll uh, see you next time.